I woke up this morning with a normal feeling for me. It felt like sadness, but more like hunger than anything else. The closest word for it is empty. I wanted it to go away. I have millions of ways to fill up. Whatever I want, I can have it. With the touch of a button, the world is at my fingertips. I can fill myself with whatever I want, cash pending. All I have to do is convince myself that it's good to eat and desirable for food. Then it's just a matter of plucking my choice fruit from the tree. No wonder I don't need God to be filled. I'm already full. But this morning, uh, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5. And as you're turning there, um, I want to share with you something that I was full of recently. Uh, has to, you have to turn the, turn the clock back a little bit to November. Uh, it was very, of course, for many of us, stressful time dealing with uh, pandemic things, with COVID things. And it was kind of a very busy time here at our church as we were working on our extension service. And uh, Andrew and I were working all day uh, on preparing for that. And I was driving to my in-laws where there was going to be food. And you know how when you drive to your, in-law, your in-laws or anywhere there's going to be food, the, the, the gas pedal just feels a little bit lighter. You know, the foot feels a little heavier. And I was getting out there, and I was in my truck, and I was in my lane. And I don't know if you've ever had this happen to you before on those curvy you know, back roads. There was a truck coming the opposite direction that was halfway in my lane. You know what you do. You do the Christian thing. You beep your horn. And I beat my horn, and he was on his way getting over, but he didn't get over quite quick enough, and his mirror hit my side mirror, and my side mirror exploded into a million pieces, and I stopped, and I slowed down to see if he would stop and make things right, and we could exchange information. But instead of seeing brake lights, I just heard the sound of a, his diesel truck just laying on, the, laying on the accelerator, and he took off. So as you can imagine, I was a little bit filled with anger, filled with road rage, but I got over it. Two weeks ago, we'd been setting up for a big teen event. Uh, we had a slip and slide. It was a lot of fun, and um, I ran home to change. And as I was driving home on those curvy roads out behind Barbersville, you want to guess what happened? I had a brand new side mirror on the driver's side of my truck. And I come around a corner to go into my neighborhood, and there's a big truck coming my direction in my lane. And you want to guess what happened? Knocked the mirror off. So I slowed down, and I stopped, and I looked behind and see if he would slow down and stop. And you want to guess what happened? Took off on me. So two times in six months, I was full of anger. And my wife will tell you for the past two weeks, I've been driving around, keeping an eye out for a cobalt blue Dodge truck 
that's missing a driver's side mirror. Isn't it interesting that sometimes we can become full of something? Sometimes it's an emotion. Uh, so, sometimes it's, it's, it's a, a, a prevailing thought of things that are going on in our lives. But we can become controlled by something other than ourselves. And it affects the way we look when we're driving. Um, it affects the way that we relate to our family. It affects the way that we spend time in God's word. So the question this morning is, what are you full of? What are you full of? Sometimes we're full of anger like I was. Um, you're going to be leaving the service here in a, in, in a few minutes. And some of you are going to be filled with hunger. I've seen a t-shirt. I probably need to buy it. It says, forgive me for what I said when I was hungry. You know, when you're hungry, all you can think about is food. And sometimes you can be a little short when you're having that, you know, that, that classic debate you know, with your spouse. What do you want to eat? Oh, I don't know. What do you want to eat? Where do you want to go? We're filled with hunger. Sometimes we're filled with entertainment. We have entertainment at the, the, the click of a remote, at the swipe of a phone. We can cons be consumed with entertainment, with shows, with movies. Uh, we can be full of bitterness, full of ambition, full of grief. But you know, all of those things that fill us, they're poor and insufficient to give us power to live our lives. Uh, what God tells us in the Bible and Ephesians chapter 5 is that as believers in Jesus, we are to be full of, we are to be filled with his Holy Spirit. Um, so we're here in Ephesians chapter 5. It was written by the Apostle Paul under the inspiration of God. Um, he calls himself a prisoner of Christ. So it's believed to be one of those epistles, those, those writings, those letters that he wrote while in prison. And he wrote it to a church in Ephesus. It was a church where he spent a lot of time there. He spent several years in Ephesus, and God did incredible things when Paul helped to start the church and to instruct believers. And, and, and it was a sweet time there. He continued on his journey. He's writing to this church. And many scholars believe that the, the, the letter that was received by the church in Ephesus was then passed on and became a circular letter that circled around all of the churches in Asia Minor. And the theme of Ephesians, there are two themes that stick out. The first is identity. We are reminded who we are in Christ. We're reminded of our spiritual identity. We're reminded that we're believers, that we're sons and daughters of God. Identity and power, that God has called us to live out that identity, to make practical in our lives what we are positional before God, positionally before God. And in Ephesians chapter 5, verses, starting in verse 15, let's read together. It says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as wise but unwise, making the best use of time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Be filled with the Spirit. What are you full of? Let's pray together. Uh, Father, I pray that as we, as we look to your word, as we consider what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, God, I pray that you'll impress on us a need and a dependence on you. Um, I pray that you will remind us of just how strong you are and just how powerful you are and just how, just how much you, you will to fill us with your power and empower us to live the life that you have for us and that you've called us to live. Um, so God, I pray that you'll speak to us this morning, that you'll convict our hearts 
and that you'll change our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So the command is to be filled with the Spirit, and I, I, I would imagine that some of you are thinking, oh no, pastor's gone for two weeks and the church is already going Pentecostal. <laughs> Our worst nightmare is coming true. Now, wh- what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, first we have to start out, who is the Holy Spirit? Who is the Holy Spirit? Go reverse about, yeah, about 20 verses there in chapter 4, verse 30. It says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. So the Holy Spirit uh, is not the way I considered it when I was growing up and I was young. I watched a lot of Star Wars movies, and I thought the Holy Spirit was kind of like the force, this impersonal, ethereal uh, 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 force that, that, that moved around. The Holy Spirit is a person, a person who can be grieved. He has personality. The Holy Spirit is a person, but the Holy Spirit is also God. He's co-equal with God. You go back to Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. The Holy Spirit has existed from eternity past and will exist through eternity future. He's co-equal with God. He's a personality, and he has worked all throughout the course of human history. The Bible, this book, is, is, a, is, a, is a story of God's redemptive work, how he has redeemed us, how he bought us back. And you can see God's Holy Spirit working throughout the Bible. Wrote down a couple ways in which we see the Holy Spirit working, especially in the old books, the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit filled, in Exodus 31, filled Bezalel and gave him wisdom, understanding, craftsmanship, and knowledge to build the elements of the temp, of, of the, the, uh, the tabernacle to where the Jewish people could worship God. Now, some of you wives, don't you wish that God would fill your husband with craftsmanship and knowledge to, to build things? Yes, yes, some have been blessed with that. Some haven't been blessed with that. Uh, the Holy Spirit in Numbers 24 came upon Balaam. When Balaam was charged to prophesy against Israel, the Holy Spirit came and took over, controlled Balaam to where he prophesied a blessing on Israel. We keep reading in, in, in Numbers 27, Joshua, when he replaced Moses as the leader of Israel who would lead them into the promised land, the Holy Spirit came upon and, and, and filled Joshua. The Holy Spirit in Judges chapter 6 clothed Gideon when he took a hundred men up against thousands of Midianites. The Holy Spirit empowered Samson many times as he fought off a lion with his bare hands, as he killed over a thousand men with the jawbone of a donkey. He came upon David and left Saul. He was on and upon the prophets Isaiah and Ezekiel as they foretold God's plan for Israel and God's plan to send Jesus to die for our sins. The Holy Spirit was with Daniel in the lion's den. Daniel chapter 6, verse 3. The Holy Spirit was the one who In the womb of a virgin Mary conceived our Lord Jesus. The Holy Spirit was the one who came upon Jesus as a dove while Jesus and empowered Jesus to do his earthly ministry while here on earth. The Holy Spirit is the one who, when Jesus was in the grave for three days, raised Jesus from the dead. The Holy Spirit is the one who inspired Scripture. 
The word that we have is God breathed. First Peter chapter one says that that, that or excuse me, Second Peter chapter one says that no prophecy is of human origin, but the writers, the men who wrote the scripture, were carried along by the Holy Spirit, word for word for word. So the reason that we're reading the Bible we're reading this morning is because the work of the Holy Spirit. When Jesus rose from the dead, he breathed the Holy Spirit into his disciples. He said, receive the Holy Spirit. And then in Acts chapter 2, at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came and filled those disciples and empowered them to preach the gospel. So thousands were saved, scattered those disciples, and, and they became witnesses as Jesus promised all over the world. But the Holy Spirit has not stopped working. What does the Holy Spirit do today? wrote down a few ways. This is not an exhaustive list of what the Holy Spirit does in the lives of believers and in the world today. If we were to make an exhaustive list and I were to read through it, it would probably take us well too, too long for the time that we have this morning, and then you would have to wear the t-shirt that says, forgive me for what I said when I was hungry. Um, but the Holy Spirit today, he helps me make decisions and gives me guidance, Romans eight fourteen. He delivers me from the prison of fear, Romans eight fifteen. He confirms my adoption as a child of God, Romans 8, 16, he helps me pray and prays for me when I don't know how to pray. Romans 8, 26, he convicts me of sin and convicts the world of sin. John 16, 8, he explains God's word to me and illuminates as I read God's word. John 16, 3, he fills me with joy. He gives me assurance of my salvation and gives me victory over temptation. Galatians 5, he comforts me. John 14, 26, he testifies to the words of Jesus. John 14, 26, he cleanses me, he washes me. Titus chapter 3, we are saved through the washing of regeneration, the renewal of the Holy Spirit. John 16, 14 says this, Jesus saying of the Holy Spirit, he will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The Holy Spirit is a spotlight holder on Jesus Christ. And when we submit to God, when we obey Christ and we live a life that's pleasing to God, the Holy Spirit empowers us to become a spotlight holder on Jesus Christ. And the Apostle Paul, as he was writing this letter to the Ephesians, desperately wanted these Ephesian believers who were living in a very difficult culture in which to be Christians to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Don't believe me? Ephesians 1. Reminds the Ephesian believers that they were sealed with the Holy Spirit in verse 13. In verse 17 of chapter 1, uh, he prays that, the Holy, that God will give them the spirit of wisdom and revelation and knowledge of him. In chapter 2, verse 18, it says, Through him we have access in one spirit to the Father. He gives us access together. He, brings, he brought the Jew and the Gentile together in one spirit, access to the Father. In him, verse 22, the Holy, in him, Jesus, you're being built into a dwelling place for God by the Holy Spirit. Keep going into chapter 3. It says, it has now been revealed to, these, to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. The Spirit was working to reveal the words of Jesus to these apostles and these prophets who would write down. And now we have the New Testament. We keep going. This is a powerful one. In Ephesians 3, starting in verse 16, the prayer is, Paul's prayer for them is that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being. Ephesians chapter 4, 
verse 3. The urging of Paul is that we would be eager to maintain the unity of spirit and the bond of peace because there's one body and one spirit. So Paul's desire is that the Holy Spirit, would, would we would be unified together because we have one spirit. We're all submitting to the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians 4.30, we, we, we've mentioned this already, that, that we are not to grieve the Holy Spirit of God. And, and we, could, we, we could almost say that in chapter 5, verse 5, verses 15 through 21, specifically in verse 18, the climactic moment or the climactic area of, of, of Paul treating of the Holy Spirit and his reference to the Holy Spirit is this imperative. This is the only imperative, and it has to do with being filled with the Holy Spirit. So just as we said, Ephesians is about who we are in Christ. It's about our identity. It's that how we've been blood-bought by Jesus. We're his children. We've been sealed. Our salvation is certain, those of us who have believed in Jesus. He says, now it's time to make it practical in your life and to make it practical in your life you need the power of the holy spirit i need to be filled with empowered by the holy spirit that's the command the question is what are you full of as we think about what it means to be filled with the spirit we're gonna we're gonna consider three questions and the first question is what does it mean what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Does that mean that we're going to go out to the lobby and start swinging on the chandelier? Does it mean that we're going to start rolling down the aisles? And some of us, if we start rolling down the aisles, we may not get back up. What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? That word filled is an interesting word. There are three Greek words that have to do and that are used in the Bible that have to do with filling of something. In English, we generally just use the word fill, and it can mean any number of things. There were three distinct Greek words that could be used to mean fill. The first Greek word is kortazo, and that has to do with, we've mentioned this before, being hungry and then being filled. That, that, that terminology and that word was used when Jesus fed the 5,000 who were on the hillside and they were hungry, and then what happened? Through that miraculous work of Jesus, they ate and they had their They were filled. The next word is the word pletho, and that has to do with the filling of a thing. That word is used when Jesus miraculously allowed the disciples. I wish I I could be part of this miracle just one day in my life. But when he blessed the disciples' fishing trip. I don't have many blessed fishing trips. But when he blessed the disciples' fishing trip to where the boat was full It has to do with the the physical filling of a thing, Plato. But the word here is not the word cortazo, which has to do with being hungry and then being filled. It's not Plato, which has to do with the the physical filling to the top or filling to the brim of a thing. It's the word pleru, or the inflected word in here is pleruthse. And here's what this word can mean we see at various points in Scripture. It can convey the idea of pressure. It's, it, it's been used to, to convey the idea of wind filling the sails of a ship and, and giving the ship the power to move and also the direction in which it's going to move. So it, it, can have, it can carry the idea of pressure. It can carry the idea of permeation, being filled with something. I, I'm, when I was a kid, we used to watch TV Land. Anybody watch TV Land? And they would show old commercials and maybe for you, these aren't old commercials, but you actually experienced them. But for me, they were old commercials. And they would show the Alka-Seltzer commercial, where the little boy sings that pop, pop, fizz, fizz. 
uh, what a relief it is. And when those Alka-Seltzer tablets are dropped into the, into the, uh, into the glass, they start to bubble. And eventually they bubble, bubble, bubble till they permeate every molecule of that water. And it's no longer water, but it's now medicinal. It's now helpful and it permeates. So it, it has the idea of permeation, of filling not, not necessarily to the top, um, not necessarily being hungry and being full, but the idea of permeating, filling. It also carries the idea of power or control. Here are some examples. In John 16, 6, it says that disciples, when learning that Jesus would be leaving them, were filled with grief. In Acts chapter 13, verses, verse 52, it talks about being filled with joy. In Romans chapter 15, the apostle Paul prays that the Roman Christians would be filled with with knowledge, And in, here's a negative example. In Acts chapter 5, verse 3, it talked about how Satan filled Ananias' heart. Another helpful way that we can understand this word is what is being filled with the Holy Spirit is compared against. It says, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. It, it, the idea of being drunk is presented as a contrast and also a comparison to being filled with the Holy Spirit. Yet, unfortunately, some people know all too well um, the dangers of people who get drunk and the danger of alcohol in our society. You know, the the number one uh, the number one killer as far as, as as far as drugs in our culture is alcohol, and. One of the reasons it's so powerful is because when someone consumes enough alcohol, it starts controlling their minds. It starts controlling their bodies. And you have people who get drunk who are very kind, but they turn into angry drunks. You have people who drink and they're very stoic, but they turn into crazy drunks. It, it alters people's personalities, and it alters people's awareness. It alters people's sensibilities. The alcohol in the bloodstream controls the person. What it says here is do not be drunk with wine. In the Ephesian culture, in that pagan culture, much of the pagan worship had to do with getting drunk and drunk and drunk and engaging in worshiping of false gods. He says, don't be drunk with wine. Don't be controlled by wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be controlled, be permeated, be overcome by the power of the Holy Spirit. So that's what the word means. Well, what does it mean for us? Well, first, it's a matter of salvation. Turn back to chapter 1 of Ephesians and you see this incredible section that would take us hours and hours and hours probably to properly dissect and handle its verses 3 through 14 or one long sentence in the Greek. But it talks about how, how from the beginning of time God had a plan to save his people. From the beginning of time God had a plan to redeem the world and to offer salvation through Jesus Christ. It talks about how God predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. It talks about how we have redemption through Jesus' blood. How anyone who believes on Jesus may be saved. And then it says, when you were saved, verse 13, in him, in Jesus, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel, that's the good news that Jesus died and paid the price for our sins so that anyone who believes in him can have eternal life. When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed 
with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. The first question is, do I have the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is not the LS package of Christianity. You know, I'm a truck guy, and every truck comes with, like, the ultimate package, right? There's the King Ranch. There's the Denali. There's the, all the, if, if you're right with God, you'll buy a Chevy, but that's a totally different sub, yeah, subject. We're not going to deal with that now. Um, it's in the Bible. Um, but every, every, every car has a deluxe package. The Holy Spirit is not a deluxe package of Christianity. Look what it says. It says, when you believed the gospel, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. That means everyone who believes the gospel is sealed with the Holy Spirit, indwelled with the Holy Spirit. The moment that you put your faith and you put your trust in God, the Holy Spirit moves into your life. You are regenerated by the Holy Spirit. There's no such thing as a Christian that doesn't have the Holy Spirit. And not only does the Holy Spirit regenerate us, he is the one who seals us. Yeah, that, that has to do with the, you know, the, the seal that a Roman emperor or, 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 a, or a ruler would put in wax that would designate that he is the only one that is allowed to open that particular seal. And, and, and it would have to do with his authority. And we don't, We're not saved and we're not kept saved by our own works and by our own doing. We're saved by Christ, who died on the cross for our sins, we are kept saved by the finished work of Christ, and the Holy Spirit is the seal in our lives saying, you're saved. Romans chapter 8 reminds us that, that it's, it's the Holy Spirit, I want to make sure I read it right, it reminds us that it's the Holy Spirit that we've received, by whom we've received adoption. Verse 16 of Romans 18 says, the Holy Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are Christ's. And then in, in, in chapter, uh, chapter 8, further down in verse 26, it says that the Spirit not only testifies to us that we are sons of God, it testifies to the Father that we are his children. You can't work for it. You can't earn it. You can't keep it. It's Jesus. It's God working in your life from beginning to end saves you and keeps you saved. It's the Holy Spirit from beginning to end. The question is that we have to start with, it's a matter of salvation. Do you have the Holy Spirit? Have you, like verse 13 said, have you believed in him? Do you have the Holy Spirit in your life? But then it's not only a question of salvation and a matter of salvation, it's a matter of submission. Does the Holy Spirit have me? Let's go back to chapter 5 and, and, and look at this word. It says, be Filled with the Holy Spirit. It's interesting that that word, filled, that verb, is a plural verb. In a, maybe an Appalachian way of saying it is, all y'all be filled with the Holy Spirit. He's not just saying, okay, you, 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 and you are the spiritually elite, and you're the ones who need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. He's saying, you know, you who struggle in, with this sin, you know, you who are going through this family thing, all y'all have the opportunity and have the obligation to be filled, controlled, submitted through God's Holy Spirit. It's not only plural, it's continuous. A good, uh, a good translation or a good understanding of this verb would be keep on being filled. Moment after moment after moment. Keep on being filled with God's Holy Spirit. So I'm a checklist guy. I like having an Excel spreadsheet and being able to click, 
click and the satisfaction of having tasks done. This is not a task to be done. This is a lifestyle that God is calling us to, to keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not only plural. It's not only continuous. It's passive, meaning you can't fill yourself. It has to be God. It says be filled with the Holy Spirit. It does not say fill yourself. So our responsibility, our obligation is to put ourselves into a place of submission to where God chooses to fill us with his Holy Spirit. From the beginning of time, God has sovereignly chosen that he will work, that he, that he will enable and he will empower those who are submitted to him. The final thing is it's imperative. This is a command of God. So what do we call that thing that happens when God tells us to do something and we don't do it? It's sin. So this isn't an optional thing. This isn't, if you feel like it, if you want to go deeper into your spiritual life, do this. This is a command of God that says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be controlled. Be permeated by the Holy Spirit. Yield to God so that he works through you. That's what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So the first question was, what does it mean? The next question is, why should I? Why is it important? Why is it necessary? Why should I be filled with the Holy Spirit? I want to direct your attention to verse number 16. We'll go back to verse 15 and read it through. It says, look carefully then how you walk. That's an important term in the book of Ephesians, walk. We'll get to that. Look not how you, look how you walk, not as wise but unwise, making best use of the time because the days are evil. We'll read that one again. The days are evil. You know, it's important to remember, he wasn't writing this in 21st century America. The days are evil now, too, I'd say. But he was writing this in first century Roman Empire, writing to a first century church that lived in Ephesus. And the days were evil then, just like the days are evil now. Why are the days evil? Well, I think we see one of the reasons in chapter 6 of Ephesians, verse 12. It says, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. You know, we look around in the world and we see problems, right? We look on the news and we see political problems and, and social problems. We look around our home and sometimes we see relational problems. We get in our car and try to start it and we experience sometimes mechanical problems. We deal with medical problems. But you know the problems that we deal with, the root source is always spiritual. And we learn here that the days are evil, that we are living in between the time when Jesus has come and paid for our sins and when Jesus will return and set up his rule and set up his reign and the lion will lay down with the lamb and, and, and all the instruments of war will be beaten into farming instruments. We're living between those times and the days are evil. So what it says here is that it's not time to be lackadaisical. It's not time to be sleepy. It's not time for Christians to be asleep at the wheel. Why should I be filled with the Holy Spirit? Because the stakes are high but also because the way that we live today, it matters. 
It's been said that Ephesians is maybe one of the most practical books in the New Testament. It, it contains so many instructions for believers in Jesus on the way that we're supposed to live our lives. And we can't get it, obviously get into all of those uh, instructions today, but I'd like you to look at Ephesians chapter 2. Look at verse 10. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 is this incredibly condensed understanding and statement about how God took us from being, being enemies of him and we walked in the way of our flesh and in the course of the pattern of the world and, 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 and we're under the influence of Satan and how Jesus with his great mercy paid for our sins, took what was dead and made us alive together with Christ. Then in verse 10 it says we are his workmanship, that's God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That word walk, it's that Greek word peripeteo, and it has to do not just with taking one step after the other, but it has to do with the way that we live our lives. So what it says is that God has works prepared for us in advance from eternity past that he wants us to live walk in. He has a plan for us, and he has a will for us, and he has a lifestyle that he's called us to live. And from the point of Ephesians 4 all the way through the end of chapter 5, we're instructed how to live. In Ephesians, the beginning of Ephesians 4, we're instructed on how to live together in the body of Christ. He says, walk in a manner worthy that you've been called with humility Think about how sometimes difficult this is to do in a local church setting. With humility and gentleness and patience and to bear with one another in love and to maintain the unity of the Spirit. That's not easy, right? That's not easy. Keep looking in, 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 in verse 17. It, he, says, he says, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the utility of their minds. It has to do with our identity and has to do with our mindset. He says in verse 22, we're supposed to put off our old self. In chapter, or in verse 24, it says we're supposed to put on the new self created after the likeness of God. So it has to do with a mindset. It has, you know, we're instructed as believers to no longer walk like the world does, talk like the world does, and think like the world does. We're supposed to be different. God has called us to be different. God said, come out from among them and be separate. He didn't say be weird. We don't be weird for the sake of being weird. Some people like to do that, but he said, be different, be separate, be set apart. As we keep reading, it gets a little more difficult because we're instructed in verses 20 of chapter 4, verses 25, all the way through chapter 5, verse 2, that we're supposed to walk in love. And there are some things that we're no longer supposed to do. We're no longer supposed to be angry and sin. We're no longer supposed to steal. We're no longer supposed to allow talk to come out of our mouths or through the fingers on our keyboards or on our phones that tear other people down. We're supposed to get rid of, put away bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, Instead, we're supposed to be tender-hearted and forgiving. That's not easy to do in today's culture. We live in an outrage age. We live in an age where the media that's put in front of us has the sole purpose of getting us fired up and getting us upset. And have you, I'm, not, I'm not suggesting you do this, but have you ever read the comments section? Don't do it. Don't do it. But it reminds us that we are to live differently. We're supposed to walk in love. Look at all these walk commands. It says, it says uh, that we're supposed to uh, walk in love. Verse 17, walk, don't walk as the Gentiles do. Verse, uh, verse 1 of chapter 4, walk in a manner worthy of what you're called. Then in verse 15 it says, look carefully 
as you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. And this is a summary statement that I believe is referring back to the beginning of chapter 5 where believers are instructed to walk in moral purity and to walk in moral wisdom. It says sexuality, impurity, covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. We live in a culture where it is very difficult to walk in moral wisdom. We live in a culture that cancels Matthew West and elevates Cardi B. And if you don't understand what, you know, what that means, you don't, you, you don't understand what's been going on just in the past five years, how immorality was, is not just something that's whispered about anymore, but it's something that's championed, it's something that's paraded through the streets. You don't understand how difficult it is, especially, I believe, for people that are younger than me, to walk in moral wisdom. God is not calling us to do easy things. He's calling us to do things that matter. As we keep looking through then, we see also it affects the way that we relate to each other in the body of Christ and the way that we come to church and assemble as the family of God. It says in verse 18 of chapter 5, our, our text to be filled with the Spirit. And then there are three participles that kind of hang off that, 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 that are adverbial, that, that point back to that verb, be filled or keep on being filled. It says, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord in your heart. You notice that we're actually singing to two people? or two groups of people as we sing, when we assemble this morning. You know, worship is not draw a circle around yourself, turn the lights down low, the music up as loud as you can, and just sing to God. We don't just sing to the Lord. We sing to each other. God's called us to come in, and, and when we worship together, when we're, t we're singing about the living hope, and we know that some people are coming in dealing with very difficult things Monday through Saturday, and they come in on Sunday and sing that Jesus is their living hope, that builds us up to see other people who, even though they're struggling, they're worshiping. We're singing to one another, but we're singing to the Lord. We're giving thanks, verse 20, to the Lord. And then we, this, is the, this is the hardest one, I think, submitting to one another, putting others' needs above our own. But look at look at. The, what is informing this. Look at what is the main thrust of this is. Addressing one another, making melody in your heart to the Lord. Giving thanks always in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting to one another out of reference for Christ. Reverence for Christ. You understand how the, the, the purpose of the Holy Spirit is not to glorify himself, it's to glorify Jesus. And those of us who are filled with the Holy Spirit, we will be glorifying Jesus to each other out in our communities and in our homes. It gets a little more difficult. Verse 22, we're not going to read through all this, but it gets to the make or break relationships that we're supposed to walk in. Husbands and wives. Parents and kids. Teens and parents. Then it gets into the bond servants and masters, and there's some principles there that we could even apply, uh, possibly to workplace scenarios. But that's that's difficult stuff. Yeah, I've never. I think the most difficult task I've ever been given. I've been a youth pastor for 10 years, and that was kind of difficult. The most difficult task I've ever been given is a little uh, brown-haired, brown-eyed uh, girl that God gave me. They give you a they give you a child, and they said I. I I've, they sent me home with a kid and no instruction manual. I remember that you know, leaving and her, her in that car seat. She looked way too small for the car seat. I drove 30 miles an hour on the interstate from Cabell Huntington Hospital to West Pea Ridge when I brought her home. And I realized I have no idea what I'm doing. And if you're a parent and you know what's going on, I'd love to talk to you. 
But the reality is most of these days in our homes, we're riding the hot mess express. And, we, and, and, and we're, just, we're, we're doing our best and we're trying to raise our kids to the glory of God. But living in the power of the Holy Spirit, being filled in the power of the Holy Spirit means that the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead will help us raise our kids to the glory of God. So we see how the Holy Spirit empowers us. Why should we be filled with the Holy Spirit? Because the stakes are high. Because the way we live matters. And I don't know how else to say it. There's no other way. There's no other way. You know, all of these practical things, all of these instructions for believers in Ephesians, without this command here to be filled with the Holy Spirit, all those instructions and all those imperatives, it would kind of be legalism, wouldn't it? God would be calling us to do something that we have no ability to do. We have no ability to share our faith. We have no ability to raise our kids. We, we have no ability to walk in moral purity in a world that doesn't. That doesn't. We would have no way to do this. We need God. Apart from the filling of the Holy Spirit, it would be legalism. It's interesting that the practical section of Ephesians, uh, verses, or chapters 4 and 5, are both bookended by powerful statements on the Holy Spirit. Look at Ephesians chapter 3, the end of Ephesians 3 in verse 14. This is Paul's prayer for the Ephesian believers. He said, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory you'll be strengthened with his power through the Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ might dwell in your hearts. There's the Holy Spirit glorifying God that you being rooted and grounded in love may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints the length and height and depth and to know the love of, the, of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Now him who is able, God is able, him who is able to do far more abundantly than we can ask or think according to the power that's worked within us, to him be the glory in church and in Christ throughout all generations forever. Amen. And chapter 4, verse 1 says, here's how you walk. Here's how you live. And at the end of this section on how we're to walk and how we're to live, it says, make the most of, the time, make the most of time because the days are evil and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Do you see how these commands, these instructions on how to live the Christian life are bookended by the power in which God wills us to live that Christian life? There's no other way. There's no other way. So the question this morning is, what are you full of? And the third question that we'll consider in, in an answer to that, what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit, is how can I be filled with the Holy Spirit? How can I be filled with the Holy Spirit? The first is accept Jesus as your Savior. Believe in Jesus. You can't be empowered by someone who does not live inside you. Remember the first question, there are two, really life can boil down to two questions. The first is, do I have the Holy Spirit? The second is, does the Holy Spirit have me? Yeah. Some of you, can you honestly answer that question? Do I have the Holy Spirit? Do I know that my soul is saved forever? Do I have the assurance of my salvation? You know, you'll never find assurance of your salvation apart from believing in Jesus and experiencing that, that testimony of the Holy Spirit to, to your spirit, that you're God's child, and to God that, you're God, that that you're his child. Back to verse 13 of chapter 1, it says, When you 
heard the word of truth, the gospel. Have you heard the word of truth, the gospel? If you've been coming to Lewis Memorial Baptist Church for more than a week, you've heard the truth. You've heard the truth of the gospel. You know that there is a God in heaven that, that, that designed you, that built you to be filled with the fullness of God, to be in a relationship with God, but that sin separated us from God. And that the only way to be restored back into a relationship with God, the only way to avoid the punishment for sin, which is an eternity in hell, is to believe that Jesus, when he died on the cross, that your sin was nailed to the cross with him, that when he died, your sin died with him. When you turn to him in belief, when you hold on to him and trust him as the only way to save you, he fills you with his Holy Spirit. He gives you an inheritance that we see in this chapter in heaven. There's more to come. But the question is, do you have that assurance? Do you know that you're saved? Have you been indwelt? Has the Holy Spirit moved in to your life? Um, the second is admit your need for God. You know, we live in a culture that celebrates this rugged individualism. We know what Jesus said in John chapter 15. He said, abide, remain, live in me. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You can do nothing. A few things you can squeak by. He says, You can do nothing. We need the power of God in our lives. You know, maybe the most sad thing you can do is read this letter to the Ephesians and then flip a few pages over to Revelation chapter 3 and read what 30 years later the Lord Jesus has to say to the church at Ephesus. This letter that Paul wrote that says, Be Filled with the Holy Spirit that glorifies Jesus. In Revelation chapter 3, Jesus writes to the church at Ephesus and he says, I hold this against you. You left your first love. The machinery of the church was operating flawlessly. They had kids programs and they had youth programs and they had men's camps and women camps and, 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 and they had everything you could ever imagine. The services were incredible. I bet the music was great. I bet the sound was perfect. I bet the lights were just right on point. But they had missed the only thing that mattered. They missed Jesus. They left their first love. And it's possible for us as believers to get so enthralled with this cultural Christianity that we have in America that we have left our first love and we forgot that apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. Some of us need to admit our need for God. The third thing, they're all A words to make it easy to remember. Uh, the third one is to annihilate the hindrances of being filled with the Holy Spirit. That there are things we do in our lives that... that, that, that God does not choose to, to celebrate and that God does not choose to empower. The first is being stubborn. Anybody here stubborn? You wouldn't raise your hand because you're too stubborn too. Um, <laughs> Acts chapter 5 verse uh, 71 says, You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. You, that, that stubbornness that's in our heart sometimes you, prevents us from being yielded to God. It goes against that, 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 that humble spirit that God has called us to. Next is sometimes we're filled with the wrong things. We, have the, we, we, we initiate and we cultivate the wrong desires in our hearts. Galatians chapter 5 says that the, the flesh desires what's contrary to the spirit and the spirit desires what's contrary to the flesh. So if we feed our flesh by binging shows that aren't glorifying to God, and if we feed our flesh by just doing whatever we feel like doing, and if we feed our flesh by just constant, constant entertainment that doesn't glorify God, and constant living that's all about what I want, me, 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 how do you think that has to do with your ability to live a spirit-filled 
life. Um, we are hindered when we grieve the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4.30, we saw grieve the Holy Spirit. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Do not cause him pain. That's in a list of things that are wrong. It's in a list of, uh, of wrong things that we do. You know when we sin, we grieve the Holy Spirit. If we have unconfessed sin in our life, don't expect God to fill us and control us and give us the power that we need to live a Christian life when we're doing things that hurt his Holy Spirit, that defile his Holy Spirit. Um, the fourth hindrance is that we quench the Holy Spirit. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19, it lists all of the, that passage, it lists all of these things in which we're to do to the Lord and, and ways in which we're to serve God. And then one of the only negative commands there, one of the only do nots is do not quench the Spirit. It's when we know what God has called us to do. We've read in his word, we know what he's called us to do, but we refuse to do it. Or we're too scared to do it. You know, the first instruction for believers is to be baptized. You want to live a spirit-filled life? Take the first step of obedience. What is it that God has called us to do? What is it that God has commanded us to do that we're either afraid or too stubborn to take that first step in obedience? The fourth way to be filled with the Holy Spirit is to assemble with the family of God, to sing together and to each other and to the Lord. God has given us this day. God has given us this assembly for the purpose of, it says in, in Hebrews, spurring one another on to good works. And the fifth is ask God for help. Luke chapter 11, the Lord's Prayer, he says something that I memorized when I was in kindergarten class here at Lewis Memorial and Mrs. Morrison's kindergarten class. She had us memorize the Lord's Prayer in King James English, and that's still how I say it. But you know, underneath that Lord's Prayer is a, is a parable that reminds us that we need to pray with persistency. And then underneath that prayer in that section of prayer is a reminder that we need to pray with expectancy. Jesus says, how many of you, if your son asked for a fish, would give him a snake? How much more so, if you are earthly fathers, how much more so will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? We need to ask God for help. We need to realize that apart from Jesus, apart from his Holy Spirit controlling our lives, we can't be the parents that God has called us to be. We can't be the students that God has called us to be. We can't be the witnesses for God to a lost and dying world that he's called us to be. We need his power. It's not optional equipment. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit.